off the ball. I don't think Springboks are in crisis because you would hate for a team that is so phenomenally good a year out from the World Cup to be world number one and then to go out in the quarterfinals. Yes, yeah, Stephen, we, we need to subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, I'm glad to say Ben Jacobs is with us this morning. Ben, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? It's been a pretty busy uh, 24 hours or so for you. Your reporting on this story is really interesting and you've got really interesting details about when the divorce that was made public yesterday actually started in in theory to happen. It, 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 is it right to say that a pre-season friendly, which none of us really cared about at the time, is now one of the seminal moments in Thomas Tuchel's life at Chelsea? Yeah, I think so. Not because of the results. Chelsea travelled to America and in Orlando they played Arsenal and they lost 4-0. And obviously nobody should care about a pre-season result, but Thomas Tuchel's reaction was fiery. And Todd Bowley is all about people and culture at a football club. So Tuchel had been given more responsibility at Chelsea, which he'd asked for. And with that responsibility naturally comes the balancing of lots of different things. And the new ownership group effectively felt like Tuchel shouldn't have been publicly that critical of the movement in the transfer market because he knew that after that pre-season, there was months left of the window and in excess of $250 to come because he'd been told what the budget was. And if you're the manager and you're given more autonomy over transfers, then with that also comes accountability. So to bemoan the lack of movement and the problems with the transition didn't go down well with the new ownership group. And that began a kind of frostiness where Tuchel wanted to focus after that loss only on football and the ownership group being quite inexperienced because Todd Bowley was in so where the manager wanted to do his actual job title which is head coach because he's preparing for a new season and the ownership group needed him to step up and be a more active part of transfers so when you add all of that up that was the first point when the relationship broke down and it only got worse from there as things got more chaotic as the window progressed now I should point out that there's huge respect for Thomas Tuchel from the ownership group. They just assessed him, his personality, as well as his ability to coach a football team. They looked at the dressing room as well and worked out. We're just having a bit of trouble with your line there, Ben. We might just give you a quick dial back to see if we can get you on a slightly better line because um, I don't want anybody to miss the detail of, of the how the relationship breaks down. It's like any relationship, right, where uh, on the face of it, everything looks good, but it's the tiny little details that trip people up. It's only when 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 the sacking happens that you realise what's gone on behind the scenes. And as I said, like yesterday, the immediate reaction of most football fans was, Jesus, Tuchel's got the sack. They're doing okay. Not terribly in the, in the league and obviously they lost their first Champions League game but then when you see the, the, the stats and the facts behind what's going on behind the scenes because we just don't get that insight from a football perspective in a club until it, the, the sacking happens um, but I mean the, the Todd Bowley relationship with, with him now is has come to light and, and Graham Potter is going to be absolutely adamant to stick very close to Todd Bowley after what's happened here because you can't fall out with bosses you, si- you simply can't and I know Eric Ten Hag recently was talking about his relationship with, with the Glazers and he spoke about the fact that, yeah, we do keep communication. We definitely speak every now and again. 
Um, but that's important. You can't be you can't be missing the WhatsApps to your to your bosses. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see that the fact that he's the priority, Graham Potter. But they need to make it happen today, you'd imagine. But the the, the, the Tuchel stuff and the insight as Ben has is uh, it's just fascinating. Yeah, you can read his stuff on CBSSports.com. There's a great piece about uh, behind the scenes of Thomas Tuchel sacking how uh, Chelsea lost confidence in him, and it, it comes in those details where. Um, they're like, so you're going to help us with the transfer policy, and then he goes public with the transfer policy is nonsense. They're like, well, it, yeah, it, it, what? <laughs> you're, it's, it's yours. You're involved in this. Yeah, I, and I think the the nasty thing from from a lot of football fans' perspective was the fact that they spent so much money in recent times, over 200 million quid, and then still the manager gets the sack. So I mean, there's one manager who's now spent all this money on all these players, and yet a new manager comes in to to either reap the benefits or suffer the consequences. So yeah, that's the fascinating thing with football. All right. Scary. It's uh, seven fifty-five. I think we can go back to Ben, and um, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll go back to Ben. We may as well. Uh, you can hear us, Ben. Okay, can you? Yeah, great. Um, we were just talking about the the details there, and you've got some great details about it. Um, them trying to keep in touch and keep communication going with the the very modern mechanism of a WhatsApp group, which Thomas Tuchel wasn't having too much of. No, I mean Thomas Tuchel wanted to do things his way with autonomy, and the new ownership group were all about communication. And that's because moving forwards, Chelsea are looking for a recruitment model that's going to be a bit more similar to Liverpool's, which is decision by panels and also using data. And Tuchel obviously has his own way of doing things that is a little less team orientated, which is not a huge criticism of Tuchel because there's a whole debate naturally around what the best way is to make decisions. But I think that with the new ownership group, Todd Bowley in particular, who's chairman and interim sporting director, has come from the LA Dodgers, where he's still minority owner. And they are very data-led. And Bowley is all about delegation and using experts in different fields to collaboratively come to decisions. And Thomas Tuchel is a football person who is a coach first and foremost. So he wanted his views to be effectively implemented away from the actual coaching on things like player transfers, but he wanted delegation. And he was disappointed in some respects that he was asked to take on a more senior business-orientated or managerial role away from the football at the same time as Chelsea was struggling. And that was the first point when the relationship broke down. They lost 4-0 to Arsenal and America in pre-season. That result shouldn't matter, as I said before. But it did because of how Thomas Tuchel reacted to it. It wasn't about the football itself or the result. It was about the fact that Thomas Tuchel showed he wasn't a fit to this new ownership group with the manner in which he bemoaned that result and then from there onwards communication broke down and with the whatsapp group that's very common lots of football clubs have a whatsapp group they go back and forth in it they drop in transfer targets but again it's less about how the communication took place and more about the speed of the response and because todd bowley as interim sporting director even though he has a lot of very positive qualities one of them is that he is able to negotiate but on the downside he hasn't got the experience specifically around football so he needed Tuchel to get back to him quickly and urgently and constantly because if everything was empowered by Tuchel and Bowley didn't have that football knowledge to just click his fingers and get things done even though he's surrounded by other experts then Tuchel had to be part of that process during the window and he wasn't and I think that heavily contributed towards his downfall. The, it, it feels as if this was never going to work because uh, or maybe it would have worked if they got a sporting director in immediately who knew exactly what he was doing and Tuchel could have built a relationship with him. But when that didn't happen, asking Tuchel to do two bits of a job and then it not really working out, um, 
it suggests that the results they needed the results to go really well at the start of the season if he was going to have some longer rope uh, what else is happening behind the scenes the, the players seem there was certainly talk about players being unhappy about different things we had Graham Hunter on the show yesterday he said that some of the subs have been looking at what Tuchel was doing and the touchline going is that what he's saying about us when, when we're on the field and if he's saying that stuff about us and we're not in the team then what does he actually think of us so it wasn't the happiest of dressing rooms and yet at the same time you know obviously they, they had got success together so there was some residual respect but it does seem as if there were some cracks appearing with the players and the manager as well I think respect is the key word and the players are never going to argue otherwise especially now a manager's gone that won them a Champions League, but it was inconsistency really, and this comes with big squads too, that Thomas Tuchel on the one hand intimated certain players were surplus to requirements, and then weeks later they found themselves in the starting lineup. Hakim Ziyech and Christian Pulisic are two good examples of that. And then there's a few at the football club that felt like more should have been done to try and keep Tony Rudiger. And subsequently, it has been revealed that Chelsea didn't do that much in terms of offering him improved terms that were good enough. And he was such a key part of the club as well. And then, unfortunately, for Chelsea during pre-season, there were one or two that just weren't quite right at the very beginning when the squad returned. And even Cesar Aspilicueta is an example of that because he thought he was going to Barcelona. Luckily, from Chelsea's perspective, he wasn't ever going to force his way out the club and has now decided to stay. So that actually turned into a positive. But Marcus Alonso is another example of a player that wanted out. And then there were mass outgoings, including Christiansen and Lukaku on loan to Inter. And that creates a almost mentality where if you're a player like Ziyech or Pulisic, you're watching the fact that Lukaku's been able to force his way out and get a loan deal to Inter. You're watching the fact that Alonso says he wants to leave. You're hearing the fact the club captain wants to go to Barcelona. So those kind of players are thinking, well, we'll look for a move as well. And it kind of breeds a divided dressing room. And unfortunately for Tuchel, he had to handle that whilst juggling a lot of other plates. So then, as you say, when results don't go your way, the players start to use their own power to kind of make their real feelings clear. And I don't think anyone revolted against Tuchel, by the way. I'd certainly not suggest it's not what I've heard from sources that the players contributed in any way to the sacking of Thomas Tuchel. I think the ownership group saw enough directly from him to make that decision. But what I would say is that if you look at Abramovich during the entire tenure, he was very distant and probably never had a meaningful face-to-face conversation with that many, if any of the players, aside from when he was on the field, when they won the Champions League. Whereas with Todd Bowley as interim sporting director, as chairman, and as a new minority owner, and as a person that just has a different approach to how to run a business, he's there at Cobham almost every day. And that will continue for the foreseeable future, even when they appoint a sporting director. So that FaceTime is really key because it means that not only does he see and hear things firsthand, but if he wants to talk to a player and hold a meeting and hear somebody's perspective directly, he'll do that. And that's exactly what happened, that Todd Bowley has been talking to players. And that's not around only Tuchel. It's not around trying to find out whether or not the players want the manager out. It's a broader point of he's hands-on and he wants to hear perspectives. So that's quite rare for an owner to be doing that. 
And it's a complete move away from how Abramovich handled his business and his football club. So it's never a case anymore of the ownership group hearing whispers or players having to result. It's an open-door policy at Chelsea. And I think before sacking Thomas Tuchel, Todd Bowley, Bed Agbali and the rest of the Chelsea ownership group already felt they knew the full picture and that Thomas Tuchel wasn't a fit. Should he Ben have done more? Like I mean, in terms of attracting players, obviously the manager often leaves things to a sporting director or someone involved in negotiations. Like, and I get the sense from your piece this morning as well that that maybe Tuchel was the architect of his of his own downfall, and that he, he potentially, in particular, to do with signings, Rafinha being one of them, that maybe he could have been more hands on and, and, and more direct in negotiations himself. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's tough because it's pre-season, it's a transfer window, it's new owners, it's a Premier League season and a World Cup year. Everything is very condensed and a manager doesn't want to spend too much time and energy chasing something he thinks he can delegate, especially not when he's a head coach by name. But the reality is, is there's fine margins in a number of these transfers. And when you've got a new interim sporting director who doesn't know the industry, the manager is key because Todd Bowley has a lot of incredible qualities. He's a great negotiator and he's very capable, by the way, of holding these meetings because ultimately the old regime are still advising him. So he's not just going in completely cold, but it's like a politician where you walk into five diverse meetings in a day and before each one, your assistants and civil servants hand you a briefing document. And Bowley is very good at processing that document and ultimately using it to his advantage. But you still need the manager there to make the final decision. And when Bowley and the American-led consortium joined, they gave Thomas Tuchel the power. They told him that they would back him. But in return, they needed him to be part of the pitch. So then when you look at Rafinha, that was a player that Thomas Tuchel desperately wanted. And obviously, they agreed a fee would lead. So at that point, Todd Bowley can't do too much more. But Thomas Tuchel needs to be in the ear of the player because everybody knew that he'd also agreed terms in March with Barcelona and had a decision to make as to whether he was going to wait for Barcelona or join Chelsea instantly on better terms with Jules Koundé. Chelsea came for him a year ago, couldn't sign him due to circumstances out of their control, came back for him at the beginning of the window and the player looked around London for housing and then they turned to countless other defensive targets before coming back to Jules Koundé and again Todd Bowley agreed a broadly speaking verbal package to get the deal done and Barcelona entered the room once again and Xavi was calling both players Rafinha and Jules Koundé and giving them a clear plan and Thomas Tuchel wasn't. So in the end, Jules Koundé thought, Chelsea have kind of messed me around for over a year. Barcelona really want me. And Rafinha thought, Barcelona really want me. It's my dream move. I'll just keep Chelsea on hold. Now, that's not only Tuchel's fault, but it's two examples. And then you've got Ronaldo, where Todd Bowley was very intrigued by Ronaldo. Thomas Tuchel said no. And that, for me from Tuchel's perspective, is perfectly fine because if he's to be given the power as manager, then when he says no, then that should be the end of the matter. But when you decline a player, there's a way of doing it. And I think that it's not just about these examples that I've given. It's about the manner in which they took place. So rather than just accepting that the manager has final say, but he might be asked about different things and different players from his interim sporting director. I think Tuchel saw Bowley more as owner, more as chairman, and didn't necessarily embrace or work well with the interim sporting director title because he was so used to 
ultimately operating with Marino, who did all the legwork and left him to it. And I think that with Ronaldo, when the player was suggested, he was dismissed by Tuchel. So then when Ronaldo was brought up again, or when Tuchel's tactics were questioned by the new ownership group, and then again asked whether Ronaldo would fix the problem, at that point, I think he felt like, why has Ronaldo come up three times? Why do you keep revisiting this? I'm the expert. I'm the head coach. And a lot of fans will hear that and say, you're absolutely right, Thomas. This new ownership group are interfering too much. And I think that will divide opinion. But whether or not you side with Tuchel or side with the new ownership group, that relationship in the eyes of the new ownership group became untenable because there was just a constant disagreement over lots of little things. And one niggly disagreement is fine. And five or six start to breed a culture where they don't get on. But after seven or eight of these examples that I've given, the situation becomes untenable because communication started to break down. Yeah, it's like any relationship. It's um, it's tiny little details trip it up, and over a period of time, you know, uh, you're you're eating too loudly, you're breathing too loudly. I don't like the. I, I no longer like you. It's not it's not you. It's me. No, it's definitely you. Uh, it just feels like that divorce was imminent. Can I just ask a little bit though about if is is Graham Potter walking into a situation where he's going to have to get Ronaldo at Christmas and um, put Pulisic in the team for every game and or or is that. Is, are the problems you're talking about actually short-lived because they'll appoint somebody to the role and Bowley will eventually take a step back? Yeah, I think it's the latter. And that's why I feel sorry for Thomas Tuchel, simply because this transfer window is an anomaly due to the sanctions that Chelsea had before the new owners arrived, due to the speed of the sale, due to new faces and strategies, due to the board shake-up, the amount of outgoings of players and the money spent all have created a storm and maybe any manager that was used to the old regime would have struggled to handle it. And then going forward, as you say, Todd Bowley won't be the interim sporting director. And I think that his removal from that position is going to be very key. And then from Graham Potter's perspective, he's used to working in a system where decisions are made by numbers and he has his own recruitment specialist and he's quite happy to work under a sporting director. And the best example of that is actually historical at Brighton where Potter and Dan Ashworth had a phenomenal relationship. And that is the model that Graham Potter likes with lots of different analysts, with lots of different perspectives, whether that's football orientated, data orientated, science orientated and so on, all contribute. And then he's allowed to continue his work thinking tactically because he trusts the people. And it's that word trust that's going to be really key going forwards. And I don't think that Todd Bowley pretends to be a football expert. And I think that the reason why any new manager can have more confidence and faith in their stability and not think that they're joining a cutthroat club is because you can actually look at the LA Dodgers and see there the culture that's been built and realize from that particular club that there isn't a huge amount of change. There isn't a huge amount of turmoil in terms of players and staff. There is some stability there, and people at the Dodgers speak very highly. And Potter will do his due diligence, of course. He'll call and ask around. So that's quite reassuring. I think if you had this ownership group and they weren't involved in other sports franchises, there might be more alarm bells. But the end game, the long-term vision, is there for all to see at the LA Dodgers on and off the football field. And that will give 
Potter and anyone at Chelsea some confidence that Bowley does have a plan. And these, to some extent, are very dramatic, um, but ultimately just teething problems. And um, the other thing with Potter is just that um, he will benefit from areas where Tuchel didn't during the next window and beyond because a sporting director will have arrived, a technical director might have arrived, um, and Chelsea's owners would have had uh, a lot more time at the club to work out the culture and um, any learning. So when you add all of that up, uh, I think that Potter will be the beneficiary of this new ownership group. And Tuchel, unfortunately, um, was the sort of trial and error head coach um, that some would say in many ways through no fault of his own and through some ways because of his personality and his manner of behaving away from the coaching uh, just wasn't the right fit. Yeah, and, and the, the next manager will obviously also be the choice of the new owners and so therefore, you know, yeah, it reflects badly on them if it doesn't work out. So they're going to try and make it work in, in a million different ways and we've seen this in, in all sports that... Uh, new owners come in, they want their guy, and their guy gets first crack at it. So there's uh, a managerial merry-go-round about to get kicked off if, if Potter does take the, the gig, and it looks for all intents and purposes that that's more likely to happen than not. Um, w- will Brendan Rodgers be a potential for Brighton? I- is that Leicester job up for him? What, what's your take on that? Because I know you've been covering this story as well. Yeah, I think that Brighton respect Brendan Rodgers, and the question is whether... Rogers sees the current crop of players and the form that they're in and thinks that that's going to be a more stable gig than Leicester. There's no reason to leave Leicester if you look at Rogers' long-term tenure there because he's still got an ownership group that would like to try and back him, but they've had to take a step back financially because of COVID, their business isn't duty-free, and the fact that Leicester have paid high wages for a long time as a byproduct of their success and then add to that that a lot of money has also been spent on an excellent new training facility. So even though that's positive in the long term, in the short term, it's meant that everything's dried up and Brendan Rodgers is very frustrated. So if Brighton were to make an approach, would he potentially consider a move? And I think from Brighton's perspective, they very much see Brendan Rodgers as a candidate. Brighton would also, in my view, and speaking to sources, actually originally based upon the Chelsea gig, I think Brighton would look at Pochettino. It again remains to be seen whether Pochettino would look at Brighton. And wouldn't it be funny as well if Thomas Tuchel considered Brighton? I don't think that one's a possibility. But Brendan Rodgers will be in the mix for sure. He's a manager that Paul Barber, the Brighton CEO, really likes and respects. And I think it's a fit in many ways. And the only question mark from Rogers' point of view is if you remove a few players like Caicedo, for example, a lot of this Brighton squad is ageing. And it's in stark contrast to the Leicester squad that Brendan Rodgers has built, where Kasper Schmeichel's gone to Nice, Jamie Vardy's in his last season or two, having just signed a new contract. But there's a lot of young blood coming through from Leicester. And the whole point of that academy that they've spent their money on is there's more to come. Whereas if you remove, say, Caicedo from the Brighton mix, you've got players like Webster, Gross, Trossard and so on, who are all in red-hot form and uh, are brilliant in the way they play. But is there the same youth and depth there? Or does Rodgers kind of have to start and build again? And then how much money has he got in the transfer market? I think that Brighton are healthy financially, but they're prudent in how they spend. So he's not going to get the same kitty as he's had at Leicester in seasons gone by. 
But where Brighton are now and the fact that this season they could get into European football could well be of appeal to Brendan Rodgers. And I think there's definitely a job in the Premier League that Rodgers right now, if it was available, would leave Leicester for simply because of the situation. Now, Brighton may be that job. If it isn't Brighton, he might wait for an Aston Villa with Gerrard under pressure. I don't think he'd have any problem (laughs) to go to Everton either, despite the Liverpool links. But it's those kind of jobs. And at the moment, because of Brighton's form and how well run the club is, and that's in stark contrast, at least in terms of financial health to Leicester at the moment, I do think it is a possibility that Brendan Rodgers would consider Brighton if they come calling. Okay, Uh, Sorry, one last question. You've been really good with your time, but the the dinner that Todd Bowley hosted for the other chairman, is that maybe where he found out about the buyout clause in in Graham Potter's contract? Because that became public very quickly over the last 24 hours, but obviously in football it might have been a bit of an open secret. From that dinner, he appears to have got um, a left-back, Karnay Chukomenka, and now a manager. So (laughs) however expensive and, and nice it was, it seems to have been worth it from his perspective. Yeah, he got derided for that meal, and it just shows you the novel approach can pay off. And instead of thinking of football clubs as rivals, I think Bowley wants to work collectively and collaboratively. And he also has a good relationship through Clear Lake Capital, the majority owner at Chelsea, with Newcastle's owners as well, because the PIF, the Sovereign Wealth Fund, are part of the investment portfolio of Clear Lake Capital. And they were seen together at Stamford Bridge, Newcastle and Chelsea's owners. And this is what we're going to see is a number of executives talking very openly. But I don't think that dinner was the place where the release clause was known about. I think it was before that, to be honest, because there's a number of people in football at lots of different clubs that when Potter suddenly becomes available and he was linked with Spurs a few years back as well, they've always said the same thing, that there's a release clause there. And that's just kind of credit to Brighton in many ways that they accept their position, even as a Premier League club at the moment or in a European position, and they're not going to stand in Potter's way. And it also tells you that lots of clubs are lining him up, whether that was Spurs historically, whether that's the FA for England and now Chelsea. So I think Bowley at that meal definitely broached the Kukurea and the Chukwemeka subjects and each of them paid off and he was able to complete those deals very quickly. But with the clause, it wouldn't remotely surprise me if even people at Chelsea's old regime were well aware of what it took to release Potter. Because from Paul Barber's point of view at that meal, he's not going to talk about his manager leaving and give the finances in such an informal setting. But it could well have provoked a relationship after that meal where they had a more private conversation more recently. And that was when Bowley realised that Graham Potter was very gettable. And the speed at which this appointment has happened definitely confirms that this wasn't a loss to Dinamo, a sacking and then a mad scramble to try and find a manager. Because to get a meeting yesterday with Potter, to know you can get him financially and that Brighton give you that blessing, it's absolutely obvious that Todd Bowley was starting to line up Graham Potter probably a week or two ago, not a day or two ago. Yeah, Ben, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. All the best. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 